I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at the evidence of the resurrection this morning. Matthew chapter 28. And yes, we're going to look at the whole chapter. Of course, we're not looking at the whole chapter. We're not going to get to dive into it very deeply. Uh, but uh, we are going to look at this chapter and see the evidence of the resurrection that, that comes out of this chapter. Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there and turn to page 784 in the Pew Bible. That's page 784 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you. And that's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and, and use it. Well, today is Resurrection Sunday. Today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the most important day in the Christian calendar. It is the most important day in the Christian calendar. The resurrection, uh, you see, is really the linchpin of the Christian faith, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I deliver to you as of first importance. This is of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the most important day in the Christian calendar. If someone wants to tear down the Christian faith, where do they turn to? They come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, where they, that's their main primary target because if you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity falls apart. Christianity is just an empty philosophy without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Scripture even tells us this. Again, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, Paul says, And if Christ has been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He goes on in verse 14 that says that your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is the most important doctrine. There's a lot of important doctrines in the Christian faith, right? But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important doctrine in the Christian faith. And so people attack it. People attack it. People try to disprove it because if you can disprove the resurrection, you've emptied Christianity of all of its power. But I want you to know, dear friends, that Christ has been raised and there's plenty of evidence to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? We, we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we believe by God's grace through faith, right? Our, our faith is what saves us. We have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we need to understand that this is not just an empty faith. Right? This is not just blind faith. God has given the evidence that the resurrection truly happened. It took place. And so our faith is grounded in the evidence that God has preserved for us 
And so today, I want to tell you that you can trust the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Trust the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And today, I want to show you five evidences of Jesus' bodily resurrection that come out of this text in Matthew. Now, we're just looking at five, right? Because we could add so much more. There's just tons of evidence that shows us the, the proof of Jesus's resurrection but we're going to limit it to five today uh, if you want to look deeper into this and dig deeper into this the evidence of the resurrection then I, I direct you to two popular books that are out there first of all is Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ it's even been made a movie so if you're not a reader hey go go rent the movie or go uh, yeah find the movie and watch the movie uh, but Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ looks at a lot of the evidence because he, he looked at the evidence trying to disprove Christianity. As an atheist, he tried to disprove Christianity, and what he ultimately did, he proved it to himself. He come to the conclusion that the resurrection must have happened. And so because of his effort to tear down Christianity, he actually came to faith when confronted with the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another popular book is Josh McDowell's Evidence that demands a verdict. So you can go there and, and look for those, those titles and, and dig deeper into this topic. Now today as we begin to look at the resurrection, I do need to, we want to back up here just a, a few verses in our text here, Matthew chapter 27. Just to remind you what's going on. As we, we get to resurrection day, we need to understand what took place. Of course, Jesus was crucified. He was dead. He was confirmed dead by the Roman soldiers who were experts at delivering death, right? He was, he was confirmed dead, and he was put into a tomb. Not only that, Matthew tells us that his tomb was guarded. And so let me just read this from chapter 27, Matthew 27, starting in verse uh, 62. Next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest... And the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, they're talking about Jesus, said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And so they remember what Jesus taught. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the, the stone and setting a guard. And so the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they go to Pilate and they say, Look, this is what Jesus said, so let's, let's put a guard, let's guard that tomb. And so Pilate goes along with it. He gives them a guard and says, all right, go make it as secure as you possibly can. Now, we need to keep this in mind as we, we think about the evidences of the resurrection presented to us here in Matthew chapter 28. Now, think about this. A guard of soldiers was sent to the tomb. Now, a guard of soldiers would most likely be 12 to 16, somewhere in that, maybe even 20 guards, Roman guards who were sent out to the tomb to guard the tomb. 
Furthermore, it was sealed with a stone. It was sealed with a stone. They, they had this humongous stone that they rolled in front of it. It probably took several of the soldiers to actually roll this stone in front of the tomb of Jesus to seal up the tomb. And so if someone were going to remove the stone, they would have to, it would take a number of them to roll the stone away and get into the tomb. Furthermore, the tomb was sealed, right? It was sealed. It was sealed with a, a wax seal. That's what, what Pilate says, seal it, right? He, they sealed it with a wax seal. Now, the wax seal wasn't necessarily to keep people out, but it's what they did with that wax seal. You see, they embossed the Roman seal into the wax and so by doing that, it warned people who came by, if you break this seal, you're going against Rome. If you break this seal, prepare yourself for a tragic, painful death because you are going against the Roman government. So that it was sealed with the Roman seal was important to note. The stone was guarded, it was sealed, and the, the guard was set right? The guard was set. Now, in the Marine Corps, we had fire watch, right? Every night when we, went, we turned in, we had fire watch. There were at least two Marines who were up and awake all night long. Usually our fire watch lasted an hour, so I, was, I would stand watch an hour along with some other Marine, and then at the end of my hour, I'd go wake up the next guy in line, and, and he would stand the watch for an hour, and, and so it went all night long until it was time for Reveille and time for everyone to get up. Well, for the Roman soldiers, the Roman army divided the night into four different watches, which lasted typically two to three hours. And in that time frame, in those two or three hours, there would be a number of soldiers. So however many soldiers there were, they would divide that out for the, the watch, the number of watches that they had determined. And so a number of soldiers, not just one or two, but probably even three or four soldiers would be up all night long. Someone would be on guard all night long while the others slept. And so someone was there guarding the tomb. It wasn't just they were out there. They were guarding the tomb. They were on guard. And with all of that, we need to keep that in mind as we begin to read chapter 28 and this recount of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, since I read this earlier, I'm not going to read it again now, but I do want to take this time to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless us as we listen to these evidences. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the evidence that you have provided in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, by faith we are saved, but our faith isn't blind. Lord, you have given us assurances. You have given us proof that what you did through Jesus took place as it is written in the gospel accounts. Thank you for this evidence, Lord. Now, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe the evidence that is here. For some of us, Lord, as we believe, we, we came to faith a long time ago, and, and it's no trouble for us. We believe. But for others, Lord, there may be those who have their doubts. Just as at first, some, many of the disciples, they had their doubts. Lord, I pray that you would open up those hearts and minds and let them see, let their, their, their doubts 
fade away as they are confronted with the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Others may not believe whatsoever. It's just too far-fetched for them to believe. Lord, let them be confronted by the evidence today and turn their hearts, O Lord, to see Jesus. For all of us today, Lord, help us to see Jesus and glory in him. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at Matthew chapter 28, and we look at these five evidences of the resurrection, the first evidence that we see coming out of this text is the angel's testimony. The angel's testimony. Now, this is not going to be a, a good one for some of those who, who doubt supernatural things, but as we look at this text and we look at what's taking place here, something super happened, right? Something took place that was an amazing thing. This person who shows up at Jesus' tomb on Sunday morning was a spectacular being. He was no ordinary man. And so we can see evidence, we can count this as evidence as we look at the angel's testimony. Now think about this. First of all, let's look at the angel's nature. Consider the angel's nature. Now let's just work through this a little bit. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, Luke tells us there was several other women there. Matthew focuses on the two women, but there were a group of women who went to the tomb that Sunday morning. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. First thing that we notice here of this angel's nature is that this, this being is a powerful being. He is a powerful being, right? Here's a man who comes, he, he's at least coming in the appearance of a man. He is more than a man, but he comes, and he comes with the power of God behind him. When he shows up, an earthquake shakes the foundation of the tomb, right? It shakes the, the surrounding area. And the earthquake has such a force that it rolls this big, heavy tomb out of the way. It just pushes it aside like it's nothing. Now, this stone was so massive that it took at least three or four Roman soldiers to put it in its place. But this angel, this being is so powerful because he comes with the power of God. And he comes and he rolls the stone away. But not only is he a powerful being, we also notice that he is a glorious being. He is a glorious being. Look at verse 3. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. His appearance was what, what was like lightning, right? He was shining and his clothing was pure, white as snow. I'm reminded of the Old Testament. When you go to the Old Testament and you see Moses, when he goes into the, the tent of meeting and he sits before God, and Moses was the only one who, who sat face to face. God talked to him face to face as with a friend, the Old Testament scriptures tell us. And when Moses went into the temple and he spoke to God face to face, or the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, when he went into the tent of meeting and spoke to God face to face, when he came out of the temple, the scriptures tell us that, that he shined. His skin shined. It shined out 
the Shekinah glory of God. He had been in, in the presence of the Lord, and, and he absorbed some of God's glory. And so when he came out, he shined. His skin was kind of like lightning, kind of like this angel's skin. He shined, and it was so disturbing to the people of Israel that when Moses came out, he would come out and he would give the people of Israel what the Lord had told him, and then he would have to veil his face to cover up the Shekinah glory of the Lord that was radiating out of him. Here we have a being who has lived in the presence of an almighty, glorious God, and because he has lived in the presence of God, he is shining the Shekinah glory of God about him. He is a glorious being clothed in the glory of God. Third, he is a fearful being. He is a fearful being. Notice what it says there in verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. These guards, these hardened Roman soldiers, right? These are the, the uh, Navy SEALs of Rome, right? These are hardened Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers were known to, to give their lives to die in battle. And there was reason for that. There was reason that they were so brave in, in battle. Roman historian Plibius, uh, Polybus, whatever his name is, he tells us <laughs> that if a company of Roman soldiers dared to retreat from an enemy, the tribune, that was kind of like the, the commanding general over the battalion, the tribune was to assemble the legion of soldiers, that's around about a thousand soldiers, he would assemble the battalion and bring out those who retreated and first sharply rebuke them for their cowardice, well, then he would draw out by lot a certain number of those soldiers who had fled in the, the heat of the battle, and they were, they were to be beaten to death. They were beaten to death. The rest of the company, all the others who fled in battle, they were given meager rashings. They were, were, were lodged outside the camp with no tent to cover them. And they were exposed to the insults of the enemy. So Roman soldiers would rather fight to the death with honor than to be put to death in disgrace. And so that these Roman soldiers, these soldiers who were put on guard at Jesus' tomb, to think that they would cower in fear, be so overcome by fear that they were unable to even move. They were like dead men, probably passed out with fear. That says something. This was no ordinary being. They would rather face death by the tribune, being beaten to death by the legion of soldiers, than to face this heavenly being. Oh, this heavenly being was no ordinary being. He was a, an angel of God, a messenger of the Lord, sent with a wonderful message. And what was that message? The most glorious message of the ages. Oh, I wonder what heaven was like when God said, Hey, who wants to go for me and, and tell people that Jesus has risen? 
I bet you there was a fight in heaven over who was going to get to deliver that news, right? Because this is the most glorious news of all creation. Christ has risen. When he comes to the, the, the ladies there in verse 5, he says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. While the, the soldiers are cowering in fear, he goes to the ladies and says, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He was crucified. He was crucified and dead. Yet he is not here, for he has risen. He has risen as he said. You remember what Jesus said, gals? Remember what he said just a few days ago before, before he went to the cross? He said he was going to rise again. Guess what? He's not here. He's done it. He's beat the grave. He's beat death. He's beat sin. He is risen. Oh, the angel's testimony is the first and glorious evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's more. There's more. If you don't like the angel's testimony because you don't believe in the supernatural, there's more. There is the empty tomb. There is the empty tomb. And this is most telling. Look what it says there going on in and verse 6, come, see the place where he lay. He invites the ladies into the tomb. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Oh, the ladies go in and what do they see? Nothing. There was nothing there. The, the tomb was empty. There was no body. There was absolutely no body. Now, think about this. If the resurrection was a hoax, if it was just a lie made up by Jesus' disciples, if the apostles had just kind of fathomed this story, then the chief priest and the Pharisees, when all of this started to come out, they could have said, nope, nope, wait a minute. They say Jesus has risen. Nope, here's his body. Here's the tomb. Here's where he, he is laying. Look, he, he, he's, he's stinking now, right? His body is decomposing. Here is his body. But guess what? There's no body. There was no body. They couldn't find it. Oh, I'm quite sure that they sent out soldiers to, to look for it, but they couldn't find it. It was gone. There was no body. All that was left in the tomb were the, the linen clothes that he had been wrapped in. Now this is quite important as well. Luke tells us this. We don't see this in, in Matthew's gospel. He doesn't bring out this detail. But Luke tells us in Luke twenty four twelve that Peter rose after the ladies go back and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen. Well, Jesus, he rose up. And he ran to the tomb, and stooping in, uh, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He, he goes in, and he sees the tomb is, is empty. There's no body there. All that's left is the linen clothing, the, the, the wraps that Jesus was wrapped in when he was buried. That was all that was left. Now, this is important because you see, if someone had stolen Jesus' body away, they would not have taken the time to unwrap his body 
and leave the linen clothes there and just take his naked body out of the tomb. I mean, one, it was, would have been an amazing feat had they been able to go into the tomb in the first place, sneak past the Roman soldiers, roll the, the stone away, get into the tomb, and then do you think they would take time to unwrap his body while the soldiers are still asleep outside and, and leave the, the linen clothes there? No, they would have taken everything, wrappings and all. But there were the linen clothing. They were there. They were there. Why? Because Jesus had no need for them, his deathbed clothes anymore. And so when he rose from the grave, he rose right through those linen clothes and he left them laying there in the tomb. There was no body. There was only the linen clothing. The tomb was empty. Further evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the angel's testimony, the empty tomb. Third, we have the women's testimony. We have the women's testimony. Now, as we look at this, look at verses 8 through, the, 8 through 10 there. So the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They were still afraid. This was something miraculous. They couldn't believe their eyes. Yet they had great joy over what had happened. And they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. This, is, this greeting here, this is kind of like, hey, y'all. Right? This is just a friendly greeting. This is not some kind of uh, uh, like a, a fancy greeting that he's giving. The word here in Greek is just kind of like, howdy. How's it going? Good morning. How y'all? Right? Jesus says, howdy, gals. And they come up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Oh, this is an amazing thing. The women's testimony is evidence of the re reliability of the, the, the resurrection story, right? This is evidence of the truth of the resurrection. Why? Why is this proof? Why is this evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, in the first century, women's testimony was counted unreliable. Women's testimony was actually counted as unreliable. Right? Uh, women couldn't testify in court because their, their testimony was counted as unreliable. In fact, when the women did go and report to the disciples, Luke 24 again tells us, verse 11, but these words seemed to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Even the disciples didn't believe the women's testimony. Why? Because you can't trust a woman's testimony, not in the first century. Right? And so, well, why is that important, Brother Richard? Why is that so important? Well, if you were making up a story in the first century, right? Because that's, that's, that's what people say, that the, the gospel message, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's just a hoax. It's a made-up tale that the early disciples, the apostles, they made this story up and published it and started this religion that's that's what this how the story goes right those who want to disprove the resurrection but if you were living in the first century and you were trying to to create a hoax right if you were trying to spread a lie you wouldn't allow your first witnesses to be women 
knowing that women's testimony was counted as unreliable. The evidence shows us that this story is true. This story is true. The evidence is that women were the first human uh, observers, the first witnesses of the resurrection, because if it were not true, the disciples wouldn't tell it this way. If the disciples were trying to build a hoax, then they, the men of the, 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 the group, would have been the first ones reported to see Jesus, to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that women were recorded as the first to observe the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrected Jesus indicates that this is a true story. Furthermore, when you begin to, to read the story, right, the apostles paint themselves in in a bad light they paint themselves in a bad light when the women tell them what's going on when the people when the women tell them that jesus has risen just as he said they don't believe them they don't believe them they still go away un unbelieving in fact you, you remember thomas doubting thomas Right? He, he wouldn't even believe, even with the testimony of Peter and, and John and all those others. He says, I'm not going to believe until I touch his hands and, and his side. I've I got to have that evidence before I'm going to believe. Right? The apostles paint themselves in ba a bad light. Now, I'm going to just tell you, if I'm going to make up a story, I'm going to be the hero of the story. Right? That's just it. I'm going to paint myself in a good light. The evidence of the Gospels, however... As the apostles are telling this, they're recording the, the, the story of Jesus. The evidence here is that the, the story is true. This is a factual event because they paint themselves in bad light. They're telling the truth. So we have the, the testimony of the angel, the empty tomb, and the women's testimony. Further, we see the soldiers lie. The soldier's lie is actually evidence of the resurrection. Look at there at verse 11. We're going to continue on there. Verse 11. While they were going, while the women were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Some of them went, not all of them. Some of them went and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave them a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, as we think about this, just think about what, what's taking place here. Uh, this, this has to be a lie. Uh, this, just the whole story kind of radiates lie. It, it's untrue. First of all, there had to be a silent stone, as I've already indicated. That, that big, massive stone would have had to been rolled away from the tomb if someone came and stole the body of Jesus even at night, even if the soldiers were asleep. Surely... To goodness, they would have heard that massive stone being rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. 
Then there's this dreamed observation, right? Go, go tell people that while you were sleeping, the disciples came and stole away the body. Well, now, if they were sleeping, how did they know it was the disciples who came and stole away the body? Right? There's this dreamed observation. They, they saw something even while they were asleep. But that's not even the, the crutch of it. Like, that's not the, the most important thing that we see here. What, what, what kind of puts the, the nail in the coffin, as you might say, is this preposterous proposition that Roman soldiers would actually fall asleep fall asleep while they were on guard duty that was just insane that was absolutely positively unheard of why because that same historian reports for us the penalty of a roman soldier who fall asleep on duty history tells us that the tribune that's 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 the battalion general right the tribune taking a stick into his hand, gently touches the criminal, the soldier who fell asleep while on duty, and immediately afterwards, all the soldiers of the legion, of the battalion, right? The thousands of soldiers would attack him with sticks and stones so that the greatest part of those that are thus condemned are destroyed immediately in the camp. It goes on to say that if anyone happens to escape, right, if you happen to, to, to live after being beaten with sticks and stones from a thousand soldiers, if you happen to live over that and escape, yet he is not saved, for all return into his country is shut against him nor would any of his friends or kindred ever dare to receive him into their houses. Those, therefore, who have once fallen into this misfortune are lost without resource. To fall asleep on guard duty for a Roman soldier was a, a, an absolute death sentence. That's why it's important here to notice that these, these religious leaders, they say, hey, we'll take care of the governor for you. We'll cover it with the governor. Because if they hadn't t covered it with the governor, then that would have been an assured death penalty for every one of those soldiers who fell asleep while on guard duty. So this lie of the soldiers actually serves as evidence of the resurrection. So we have the angel's testimony, the empty tomb, the women's testimony, and the soldier's lie. Fifth, the final one here, is the church's transformation. Oh, this is most telling, right? This is the greatest evidence of all, the church's transformation. Notice there in verse 16, this is the great commission. Of course, we, this is a whole sermon in itself, but... Just notice what it says here. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, most likely, when, as we're reading this, most likely this was the time in which Paul says that more than 500 saw Jesus at once. Right? He just, Matthew just talks about the, the eleven, but, uh, or the, yeah, the eleven here, but Paul says, 
At some point in time, Jesus appeared to 500 believers at one time after his death and resurrection. So Jesus appeared, most likely this is that, that time when he appeared to 500 at one time. But Jesus, he met his disciples there in Galilee where they had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some were still doubting. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you know what the disciples did? They went to the ends of the earth, and they made disciples of all nations and people groups by baptizing them and teaching them all that Jesus had taught them. They followed this great commission. Now, why is this important? Well, you've got to remember, first of all, the, the disciples' cowardice to begin with, right? Go back to chapter 26, verse 56. There at the end of that verse, it says, Then all of the disciples left him and fled. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of the disciples who were there with him, they fled in fear. They fled in fear. Even Peter, who said, I'm ready to go to death with you, Jesus, he fled in fear. He fled in fear. And after the crucifixion, they, hid, they, they, they hid away in fear. They wanted nothing to do with that. But then something happened. Something happened. And in Romans chapter 2, we see that, that they come out of hiding. And they go forth. Post-resurrection, they get this, this infusion of courage. So we see the disciples' cowardice contrasted against the church's courage. Peter, in Acts 23, right? Peter, who, who fled in fear, who cursed outside, outside the chief priest's house. I don't know this man. I don't know him. No, I'm not one of his disciples. I don't know who he is. Cursing Jesus. Yet, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he goes out into the streets and he preaches, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What courage. What wonderful courage Peter showed in preaching the gospel in the very city where Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised again. Not only that, but think about this. Many first century Christians were martyred proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Over 500 people witnessed the resurrection or the resurrected Jesus. And many of those who witnessed the resurrected Jesus went to their grave proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death there in Jerusalem. James, the apostle, was beheaded in Jerusalem. James, that's Jesus' brother James, was thrown off the temple tower there in Jerusalem and came to his death. 
Paul and Peter were martyred during the first empirical persecution under Nero. Paul was beheaded and Peter was crucified upside down. Many others were martyred during Nero's persecution. Tacitus reports, covered with the skins of beasts, Christians were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames of burnt of are doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Yet there were no reported no reports of eyewitnesses. People who saw Jesus, there was never a report of one eyewitness saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh no, don't set me on fire. No, don't cut my head off. No, don't crucify me. It was all a hoax. We've made it all up. Not one eyewitness ever, ever recanted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, one fool might take a lie to his death, but 500, that's not going to happen. In fact, three people most likely would not give their lives, all three of them would not, most likely not give their lives up for a lie. But how many thousands of Christians in the first century went to an agonizing death proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised again. Oh, that's the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Those eyewitnesses were willing to die for what they had seen. The church's transformation is solid evidence that the resurrection actually happened. So many people today are filled with doubts. So many are filled with doubts. We've heard so many broken promises, so many lies in our culture. Who can blame anyone for having doubts? But we can come to Jesus' resurrection and look at the evidence. And you can trust the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. You can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, For I delivered to, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Dear friend, you can be assured today that Christ Jesus went to Calvary's cross and he died on that cross for your sins. To pay the penalty for your sin in your place. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You can be assured of that today. You can trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus and he will save you. That's the heart of our hope. That's the heart of our hope. We live, we serve, we love because Jesus died on the cross for us and was raised again for us so that we might have eternal life with him. Oh, dear friend, do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted in Christ? Do you believe in the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? 
search the evidence. Dig into further evidence. Search the evidence and see the truth of the resurrection. And put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evidence of the resurrection. We thank you that you have not left us to blind hope, but you have given us hope and assurance in the resurrection through the evidence made available to us. You have preserved all of that for us. Oh, Lord, as Christians, may our hearts be drawn even closer to Christ. May the foundation of our faith may be made even stronger as we dig into the evidence of the resurrection. And Lord, when we come to those with, with doubts, Lord, help us to ease their doubts with the evidence that you have provided for us. And Lord, if there's those today hearing this message who've never trusted in Jesus because they've always had those doubts they have believed the lie of the world that it couldn't happen. Stuff like that doesn't happen. It can't be. It's, it can't be true. Oh, Lord, let them see the evidence. Let them weigh the, the testimonies of history. And, Lord, let them see Jesus and put their faith and their hope in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.